Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paused Reviews. Oh, welcome back one and all to another episode of the Paused Reviews podcast. As always, I'm your host, Frank, joined by my co-host, Tim. Welcome back, Tim. Thank you. You 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 sound delicious. Oh, oh, thank you, Tim. It's so kind of you to say, <laughs> and so kind of you to notice. Yeah, we uh, you know, hopefully this works out really well and and all that. But we got some new gear. We put some pictures up on Instagram, but uh, we're trying out some new gear for the first time tonight. So hopefully everything sounds good. I mean, you sound good to me. Hopefully this sounds good to everybody <laughs> yeah 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 we had a few uh hiccups in the very brief test that we ran before we actually hit record so and actually now that i think about it let me make sure i hit record everywhere and yeah right. yeah it looks like i did okay so that's good. a good thing <laughs> i'm very very much looking forward to diving ahead with something totally new and totally different as we kick off november with 500 days of summer yeah had you seen this one before? No, I hadn't. It was sort of, I don't know, it was like kind of in that realm of like one of the movies I should have seen, but I don't, it kind of occupied the same space in my mind as like Garden State, right? And I did not like Garden State. I've never been a fan I, of Garden I State. I agree with that, yeah. And so it just kind of came off as like one of those like weird, quirky romance movies and I was just like not having it. And Zooey Deschanel, like, I, I struggle with her from time to time there's something she's okay in but i've never been the biggest fan of her so it's not like a must watch for me at all yeah i think my thing with zooey de chanel is that she does one thing well and it can just become a little tiresome yeah yeah i mean maybe we all know this girl uh maybe we've dated one it's like it's sort of like the manic pixie dream girl kind of thing like she's quirky and that's why she's fun and tired <laughs> <laughs> All right, so 500 Days of Summer, jumping in, where can you watch it? It is available now on Stars. So if you have a Star subscription or you can sign up for their stream service, um, you can check it out there. It was released July 17th of 2009 and is rated PG-13. And it did really well both critically and financially. You know, it's got solid scores Rotten Tomato, uh, you know, 85% roughly for yeah. both critics and audiences. The IMDb scores are high. Google gives it a 91%, which is pretty solid. And then financially, they did this movie with a budget of $7.5 million, but the worldwide gross was $60.7 million, which it's one of those situations where that number may not sound uber impressive, but when stacked against that budget, it's yeah. fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. It was directed by Mark Webb, which this was actually his feature film debut. Prior to this, he had done pretty much exclusively music videos. And he since then has done sort of a healthy smattering of TV shows. But he's also gone on to direct a few other features. He did Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2, the uh, uh -huh. Andrew Garfield ones. He did a movie called Gifted. And he is set to direct the live-action version of Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Oh, so. interesting. It also makes a little sense then, I mean, music kind of plays along right with this movie, right? It's not a major piece of this movie, right. but there's popular music undertones throughout this, this entire movie. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, it was written by writing team Scott Neustadter and Michael H. Weber, and they're well known for penning the Pink Panther 2 movie, The Spectacular Now, The Fault in Our Stars, Paper Towns, mm. and The Disaster Artist. So you can see a track <laughs> you can see a track yeah. record there with <laughs> uh with you know Spectacular Now, Fault of Our Stars, that kind of thing. But also some comedy, right? So The Disaster Artist yeah. and and Pink Panther 2. What is this movie about? This is the story of a girl named Summer, played by Zooey Deschanel, who doesn't believe true love exists, and a boy, Tom, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who falls for her. But as the movie says right from the top, this is not a love story, mm-hmm. which I kind of I dug that right off right off jump. Yep, and especially with that opening shot of what is clearly an engagement ring on the two characters holding hands. So. Right interesting yeah 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 you know there's a lot to really like about this movie and Mm -hmm. and i think there's a lot i really did enjoy about this you can see the thought given and and we'll kind of talk a bit about that right now and i think the the key success here is that this story comes from a place of truth you know and this writing team really was able to bring in their experiences and use that to drive this story drive these characters with the the ticking clock just given to you right there in the title yeah. how they use the dates throughout the timestamps basically to kind of show you where you are in the story how much time yep. do you have left right it's it's really it's awesome i think to anybody you know we were kind of sharing some some of our own war stories before this, but I think anybody too watching this for a romantic comedy, romantic uh, is very relatable, right? I think anybody has a story that is very similar or fits this arc in their arsenal of just that, that one that fits within the, 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 the bookends of the story. So it's, it's very relatable for, for this type of movie. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Um, and it was certainly relatable to the writer. So a little bit of fun facts, trivia, that kind of stuff. At the beginning, right? <laughs> the beginning mm-hmm. of this movie, I loved this. There's this little title card and at the, on the corner. It says, you know, this is a fictionalized story. Anything relating to, uh, you know, real people is absolutely coincidental. And then it flips. It was like, especially you, Jenny Beckman. <laughs> and it turns out, that the Jenny Beckman bit at the top during that opening is true. She's a yeah. real woman who dumped writer Scott Newstatter, and Summer is based on her, and the script is based on their relationship. In fact, Scott says that at least 75% of the film actually happened. So Scott met Jenny when they were students at the London School of Economics in 2002. He says he was rebounding from a bad breakup and says that he felt crazily, madly, hopelessly in love with the girl who returned his kisses, but not his ardor, which, again, like I said, this fits the framework for a lot of your own personal stories. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you're thinking of of one that fits that perfectly. Oh, without question. Scott goes on to say that the ending of the relationship was painful and unforgettably awful. (laughs) This is the point that I was really surprised to see. So Scott, because I was wondering to myself, like, how can you say that? How can you straight up use someone's real name? The movie is clearly based on them. You know, that is bold and, (laughs) you know, potentially 
you know, could get litigious. Like, this is interesting. But I guess she was, you know, she was in on it and and aware. And Scott showed the script to Jenny. And after she read it, she said she related more to the Tom character, which I found that really interesting. But knowing all of this backstory, I love the window into Scott's need and reason for writing the movie. There's a there's the scene where Mackenzie, Tom's buddy in the movie, he's dealing with the breakup and, and Mackenzie tells Tom, you know, maybe you should just write a book. And the line is that, you know, Henry Miller says the best way to get over a woman is to turn her into literature, which <laughs> is clearly exactly what Scott is doing with his yeah. own pain and issues. Yeah. I mean, hey, some of the best art, music, plays i mean that's what this is you know what that stuff has been translated from is some of that that heartbreak so it worked it certainly did so let's jump into some specifics from the movie itself let's review the movie and talk through the the things that we liked and didn't like and i think i can speak for both of us that there's going to be a lot more like than dislike yeah I wouldn't even necessarily say dislike. There's just some moments that are cringeworthy within the project. You're just kind of like, but other than that, it's really enjoyable. And again, coming off the month that Frank especially just had, it's, it was a nice, it was a nice palate cleanser. I'm pretty sure it wouldn't matter what movie we were reviewing this week. I would have loved it. It would have gotten rave reviews from me. All right. So the first thing I kind of want to talk about is the idea and what was really successful here, particularly with this writing team, is that they each brought contrasting perspective to Mm -hmm. this film that equals a perfect final product, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, Newsetter brought all that pain and the heartache, as we mentioned before, um, but Michael Weber was in a happy long-term relationship at the time. So that's where you get this contrast from. I feel like um, he's kind of the Paul character in this. Yeah. Where we're like right? the, I guess he's, he's like a nurse or something. And he, uh, he's been dating the same girl since 1997. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. his other friend Mackenzie um, hadn't had a girlfriend since like eighth grade or something like that. Right. right? So, um, yeah, they, they, they foil each other really well. And therefore, as you mentioned, they, they really, are the perfect team to kind of capture every feeling. And then from almost every angle, when you're looking at this relationship, everything is, I mean, the characters are fully relatable. Like, as I mentioned before, again, everybody's got a story that works this way. Um, The situation at any given time, and no matter where they are, you found yourself, you know, in some sort of relatable scenario. Anybody who's been in any sort of relationship you know, ultimately knows it's not all, you know, flowers and candy and cuddles and it's, you know, there's bitterness and this really just helps it to feel real uh, no matter what scene we're in, right? There's just like everything is covered um, and it feels much more of like a grounded relationship than, than a fantasy romantic comedy. It's really, ultimately, it's like the tension that plays out in this relationship really plays out well on screen because of this. And it really helps to drive everything home in the end and makes us feel like a movie about a real relationship. Oh, I absolutely agree. And I think if that is what you want to achieve, these are the guys that you need helming the screenplay because this team has a really great track record of writing realistic relationships in a way that is beyond relatable, right? Even in the seemingly crazy part, there's a scene that jumped out to me in the very beginning 
which is the scene where Summer breaks up with Tom and they're in the diner. They break up and she was just like, I think we should see other people. He doesn't understand why. Then the pancakes come out and she's just like, let's just eat and we'll talk about this later. Oh, I'm so glad we did this. I love these pancakes, blah, blah, blah. As if she didn't just drop the biggest bomb ever. And I could totally see how some people would think that was nuts, but bro, this happened to me in a way. The person will be unnamed, obviously, but I was dating this girl for a while and we went to a PF Chang's, we're having dinner, and she turns to me and was just like, you know, I was thinking that, you know, maybe we should take a break and maybe we should, blah, blah. and I was, and I told her, and I had always told her from day one, I was like, look, I don't do breaks. Breaks are ridiculous. We're either together or we're not. If you find yourselves down the road, fine, but the break nonsense is, is silly. And so I was just like, look, I don't do breaks. And she was like, okay, well, I think we should break up. And I was like, okay. And she was like, but. I don't think we should break up yet because my birthday's coming up and then this, that, and the other. And she was like, so, and I want to have a good time. So let's just, everything will be the same until after my birthday, then we'll break up like for the summer and, and whatever else. And I was just sitting there baffled at like how she was trying to schedule our breakup and I couldn't believe it, which then, and I called it out and I was just like, that's the most insane thing I've ever heard. And then her response to that was like, okay, well, never mind. Let's just stay together. And I was like, what? (laughs) No. And uh, anyway, so we ended up breaking up and and she had her birthday and it it was fine. But it's, it's a moment like that. This movie, that scene seems crazy. Yeah. But these things happen. And I'm sure it happened to him and it certainly has happened to me and I'm sure it's happened to a million other people. And that scene is, yeah, it's painful and relatable, but it's also hilarious because when you find yourself in those moments, there's just nothing funnier than real life. It's hilarious that these things happen. Yeah. I mean, I was, I want to say it was my three year anniversary to the day with this girl. It might've been four. I was living in Baltimore. She came to visit. She came down early in the day. She made us dinner. She brought us dessert. We ate dinner that night as we're laying in bed. I was just like, I forgot to get her a card. I forgot to get her a present. And she sort of called me out on it. And I was just like, yeah, because uh, I'm done. (laughs) Oh, my God, Tim. It was kind of like, yeah, I'm good. Good night. We went to sleep. She spent the night, woke up the next morning, and went on our way. And it was completely awkward and completely weird, but that's not how she thought that night was going. <laughs> Dude, that's insane. Well, and this is this is a common thread in some of the stuff that I've seen from this team and what they've been able to do. And I, while I haven't seen much of their work, I have seen The Spectacular now. And that movie is excellent, and I'm not going to dive into a review within a review, except to say that there are many times in that movie where you're watching a scene and you just feel uncomfortable. It's so real that you feel like you shouldn't be watching it. It's this private moment in a real relationship. And that is not something that is easy to do. You know, so often love and relationships are written in their idealized forms. And this movie doesn't suffer from that, which makes it all the better. 
this movie has so much care given to the moments like these that it is like we've said it's impossible not to find yourself in them as you watch and it's really really beautifully written so my big question kind of coming out of this is whose side are you on right in this movie (laughs) i i kind of I kind of struggle with that. So ultimately, I think what I come away with is, you know, there's points where I feel like Summer is the villain and she is just terrible and awful. But then there's other parts where, you know, Tom is just kind of the hopeless romantic and creepy and naive, you know, kind of the Ted Mosby of of the movie where he's just trying to, you know, looking for the one. And so I I kind of flip-flopped back and forth through a lot of this about really who I sided with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, admittedly, I struggle with that, too. At the start, I find myself immediately siding with Tom, you know, sure. and just seeing Summer as just this awful, cold-hearted woman. And, yeah. and I think it was interesting to admit that to myself and, and experience that because I had to force myself to confront, number one, my own biases as a man, right? right. Like, I immediately sided with the dude. But also, it's a real testament to the writing. Again, I I could feel what Tom was feeling, and by extension, what the writer must have felt, you know. But I I think I have to also immediately accept that the story is told from that singular perspective, that Mm -hmm. it is a one-sided story. And as I watched the movie more and I looked deeper, it was obvious that things were not all going to play out as they seemed. No, and and I think we mentioned this, actually the characters mentioned this, that Mackenzie says when they're at the bar, it's like, she's a dude, right? Like, she has this very dude perspective of, oh, you know, not looking for anything. I'm not, I don't want to be tied down. We're young. We're in Los Angeles. We're, I want to, I want to be free. And he's like, like the stereotypical dude perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so there's a lot of conflicting things, right? Like that's, you know, like I can see all sides of this. Um, so it really does. I, I kind of twist and turn along with, with the characters for sure. But I really, what really brought me back to kind of away from the, the cold heartiness of summer was that she really never lied to, to Tom. I mean, mm. like straight off from the beginning, from that same scene that I was just referencing, she's like, I'm not looking for anything. And I then get mad at her again because then she follows that up with, you know, a bunch of mixed signals. Like they have that whole conversation in the bar. Mackenzie, you know, drunkenly sets up this conversation between the two of them. And she's like, I'm not interested in anything. And then when they put him on his way in his taxi, she really wants to know why he likes her. Oh, you like me? You really like me? And they're like, well, you know, 20 minutes ago, you didn't care. But Um, then immediately is like, Oh yeah, I find you very interesting. I think we should be friends. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And then she's so so bent out of shape about the fact that he likes her. And then on day thirty one, they're at work in the copy machines, and she just starts making out with him. Walks up to him at work <laughs> and not like kisses him. She like they're like two seconds from you know if they didn't realize they were at work, that was gone further. Skirt ridings up, hairs all yeah. disheveled. Exactly. He's fully um, erect. Exactly. <laughs> So she absolutely sends him mixed signals. So again, flip-flopping right along with the characters. I was like, you know, it's hard to camp out in either one of these characters' corners. What bothered me about that scene in particular is that 
she's fully aware of how he feels. She did yeah. the right thing and was like, I want to be friends. I'm not looking for stuff. Then she does this make out thing and just walks away without a word, which I don't know. Maybe that's an empowerment thing. But to me, it's just kind of a dick move. Like, you know how he feels. It's so messed up, you know. And and I find like this scene is one of those moments where it's a completely solid argument for Summer as the villain, or at least for someone watching this yeah. to really latch on to that. But to be fair, right, on day 34, her first trip to Ikea, once again, she's, you know, her actions are one thing, but her words are totally different. She, yeah. the, throughout the entire movie, she acts like a girlfriend. What's instrumental and would, what absolutely drives Tom's frustration, and like I was saying in this first scene in Ikea, she again is telling Tom that she's not looking for anything serious and asks if that's okay with Tom. And Tom agrees and says that it doesn't worry him to keep it casual, right? And then there's this bar fight scene way down the road in the relationship. And she, in that moment, they've been together for so long. And when they go back to her apartment, again, she just looks at him and says, you know, we're just friends. I love the part where Tom finally hits his breaking point. He's just like, friends, my balls. <laughs> like We are right. so much more. And I get a say in this. But but the thing is, is that, you know, you got to go off what she's telling you. And she's being honest with her words. But yeah. that, that frustration and those mixed signals and that flip-flopping, again, so realistic. I'm not saying realistic to women. I'm just saying realistic to a relationship. There, yeah. We've all been in a relationship with somebody. Gender is not the driving force, but there's always been right. somebody in the relationship that put, that acts this way. We've yeah. all experienced this. The Ikea one, especially. Like, I don't want anything serious to get up off the bed. And she grabs his hand. And they go strolling, you know, hand in hand through right. Ikea. Right. You a know, girlfriend like, move. Like, yes. Right. I know. And then and in that same scene after the bar fight when when he's just like, "Look, I I know we don't have to put a label on it, but I just need to know that you're going to be consistent and you're not going to just leave." And she's like, "I can't give you that assurance. I can't give you." But that's the thing. And this is what I do like about the movie. What he's looking for is love, and that's what love is, right? That's how I define it. Yeah. None of us, you know, nothing is promised, but you can absolutely every day with my wife I wake up every day and make the conscious decision to love her today. It's not a yeah. feeling that you fall in and out of. It's not this fleeting thing that you can't control. You absolutely can make the conscious choice to be fully committed and in love with somebody. And she can't give that because she's not ready. Like that's honest. And that's, yeah. I felt like that was a really truthful moment and it's his own fault for staying in it all this time. Yeah. And that's the flip side. Tom is pretty obsessive, clingy, and a little creepy. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, there's the scene where he's talking to his buddies because he's all pissed off on day 22 when he's asking uh, Summer about her weekend. She's like, oh, it was good. And he's just like, oh, she was getting dicked by everybody. And so what? <laughs> that was, but not only so what, but like, what a severe overreaction to a right. very casual statement. Right. Yo, it is painful to watch him in scenes of this movie. You know, even his buddy Paul tells him that he's basically stalking her, right? It's yeah. really all Tom's fault. At the karaoke bar, Summer tells him exactly what's up. In Ikea, exactly what's up. After the fight, exactly what's up. He's the one making the choice to ignore what she's saying and think that 
what she's missing is him and that he can change her. And that is always a stupid thing to believe. You can never change anybody. I absolutely believe people can change, but I absolutely believe that you cannot change them. Yeah. Uh, Carissa kept saying throughout the whole movie, she's like, everyone thinks that they can be the person to change somebody. Right. Like, Oh, I mean, I dated a girl in college. She like, ran roughshod through this group of friends that I had freshman year dated one guy then dated the next guy then dated me and we dated for two years before she dumped me for somebody else and I was like oh no I'm the one to lock her down I'm like no it just took her longer to move on from me right Mm -hmm. and in the end I was still left holding the bag I mean absolutely though I mean he's blinded by this pursuit of of love that that he mentions at the top right he's he's got this ideal and he's full speed ahead for it and you know couple that with this idea that he's like no if I just show her a good time she'll eventually be mine but it's never gonna happen for him absolutely this really then I think as we're laying out this isn't a healthy relationship for either of them at all. Mm. It's really one that teaches them how to be healthier for the next one. Like, again, we've all had this relationship. Like, all right, I learned a lot from this last one. The first girl I lived with for a couple of years, like, all right, I learned what I don't want for the next one. Right. We all have that benchmark relationship too. We are like, all right, that didn't work. I can admit now I really screwed this up. I know what to do for next time. And I know what is healthy and arguing every day wasn't healthy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the truth is, is that they're both the bad guys here, right? And both the good guys. And each of them just brings their own trash and their childish views on these relationships, their faults and whatever. And they just air them out there. But it's, this is that relationship that sparks the real growth that real yeah. kind of change that the other person cannot coax from you. You use these lessons and you learn how to do it for yourself. Yeah. And I really, I, I honestly, I like a lot uh, the sequence in here where Tom talks about how he felt, I, I don't know if he uses the word poisoned, but definitely influenced by the pop culture that he was into as a young kid. He, yeah. he talks a lot about the, the Brit pop, the Smiths specifically, like pre-emo and post-punk stuff. I relate to that ridiculously i mean i grew up on classic rock oldies a huge beatles fan and i think that definitely colored my life in terms of the importance of relationships those songs are all about love and you know if you're cool you have a girlfriend and like you're supposed to have a girlfriend and when they dump you or when they break up it's supposed to devastate you so i lived a good portion of my life thinking that my life was supposed to be a pop song so I totally relate to, to that aspect that he talks about, for sure. It hit home big time. Absolutely, without question. You know what came to my mind was that, and I'm guilty of this too, like growing up, it was my, I couldn't wait to get married and I couldn't wait to have a family and I couldn't wait to live that fairy tale life. And there's this, this movie is an exploration in the fairy tale effect or the Disney effect or whatever you want to call it. You know, there's yeah. a lot, said and discussed and debated about what the porn industry has done to relationships or to how women are viewed and and all this kind of stuff all valid all really important conversations and and absolutely and anyone who denies that that industry has affected things is lying to themselves yeah and and i mean it's not a criticism on any one thing or another but at the same time it's just it's a valid argument and this Mm -hmm. is that other thing where 
it is unreal. The, the Disney princess fairy tale love relationship doesn't exist. And that poisons minds to say like, oh, you can't help love and you can't do this. Like you have a choice in all things that you do, right? Yeah. And so it's just not a realistic portrayal of what relationships are in the real life. And, and we yeah. all hit a moment, right? Be it a relationship or something else. We all hit a moment where that fairy tale mentality comes crashing down and we are forced to face the real world and adjust and adapt. And those of us who can do that are successful down the road. And there are others who maybe can't and, and struggle to find meaningful and fulfilling relationships. And this yep. movie is a real exploration of that. And I love that about this movie. Mm -hmm. And I love yeah. that it brings that to light. And, and we kind of get to witness it firsthand because this was that moment for the writer. Like yeah. this was the moment where he realized real life is different from Britpop or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, it takes some doing, it takes a lot to undo that influence. And, you know, I think we see Tom work it out within these 500 days, but you know, as you said, it's not as eloquent or speedy for, for other people. And sometimes you need to change the music you're listening to or change the books that you're reading. And, you know, um, and I don't know if he works it out, but he, he it, starts working it yeah, <laughs> at the end of yeah, these 500 right. days. Right. You know, so you just need to reformat sometimes. And you don't realize, you know, at the time, I, I like I said, I look back now and I look at just that misguidedness <laughs> and, you know, the way I'd be like, oh, you've never had a girlfriend? Well, something wrong with you. It's like, maybe there's something wrong with me thinking that was the most important thing in the world in, you know, Right, right. <laughs> and I think a lot of what we're talking about here in the writing and everything is is great. It's one thing to write an awesome screenplay and put these ideas yeah. and concepts on paper, but you really got to bring it to life. And I think it's yeah. a real testament to to the actors who were chosen for this. Yeah, this is actually a really strong cast, and I think it's kind of actually I would say I would say perfect casting. Both of the leads are kind of perfect. I mean, Zooey Deschanel, you know, love her or hate her, however your feelings are on her. She embodies the type of girl that I would have, you know, like a palate cleanser, right? She's the rebound girl. I never really saw her as a full relationship. So I think her casting actually works really well. I mean, so you can say what you want about the, her being maybe typecast in this role, but it ends up being comfortable. It feels good, and it's easy to to, to really like her in this role. And you know, they both of them, jo Joseph Gordon-Levitt and her, they they have good chemistry enough to make this relationship very believable. I agree completely with that. And I think that while she's really great, I think that Joseph Gordon-Levitt really brings it in this movie. Mm. And you know, and he stands out, but. That makes sense also because this is his character's story and yeah. he's the one who's really given a lot of room to play. But I got to say, one of my favorite scenes where I thought both of them were just on point is that reality versus expectation scene where Tom mm -hmm. uh, goes to Summer's rooftop party. Yeah. I thought that was incredible. To see in real time the comparison between their character in two totally different experiences and both of them being so well done was yep. 
awesome. That scene is incredible. And again, that is a relatable moment. We've all had that expectation of pulling up to the party, pulling up to the dance, whatever it is. You're going to knock this out of the park. You're going to leave with the girl on your arm. And when you get there, you're the only person you know there. She's hosting or she's involved elsewhere. And you're alone in the corner petting the cat and, you know, calling your mom to come pick you up early or something like that. Yep. Your fantasy expectation versus the reality of life on display in real time, split screen. It's great. Yeah. It's, it's so sobering, right? So just you're watching that play out and you're like, it's exactly how I would have imagined this was going to play out for me. And that cold, cold hopeless feeling playing out on the other side of the screen and you know exactly what both of those feel like it was really really spot on yeah and especially when you think about it and get real meta and inception-y about it is you know the right side of the reality is what's actually happening but even though that expectation isn't real it's real in his mind and so because he has that going on in his brain when he gets that bombshell of the ring that disappointment is not just in that moment but it's also based on what was playing through his brain that he was fully expecting to to be happening like it's such a bigger letdown and we got to witness that internal monologue and ideas and like that ideal view of what he was hoping would happen we got to witness that in real time we see the ring and we we see his plummet and we get it even more because we're given that perspective the, that's the clock striking midnight right like that is the last hope of your fantasy becoming reality <laughs> just out yeah. the window like the, the expectation uh you're done uh, pack it up go home yep absolutely so a lot of what we've been talking about so far really highlights just you know how successful this is as a drama but i think it's also a really successful comedy and in fact i wouldn't really call this a rom-com because like they said it's not a love story yeah and but it is definitely a dramedy and this movie really had moments that got me straight up laughing the whole narrator bit that plays in from time to time <laughs> is awesome you know there's this breakdown of who summer is and uh -huh. then just how you know her life has been so easy because she's so beautiful and and all this kind of jazz it's hysterical but also so seen through the lens of the guy through tom yeah. or or otherwise that it makes it so good there's so many moments in this movie that just nail it I, I think um, the happier Ikea scenes <laughs> where, you know, they're, they're doing their little dinner thing and she's like, honey, the sinks aren't working. And he's like, that's why we bought a house with two kitchens. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just those moments uh, are really great. And they're, they're funny little moments that fit her character really well, too, because she is kind of awkward, <laughs> right? She's awkward and quirky. And I think that works. Uh, but the other one for me was the morning uh, after sex musical. I mean, yes. that scene was amazing. It kind of comes out of left field, but it works in the same way that the expectations versus reality scene works. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. it, it's there's no setup for it. And the narrator too, right. He comes in and you forget about him. Then he comes in again, but that scene was perfect. And it really encapsulates, uh, you know how how you believe Tom feels after that. Like he finally 
is like, you know, that pep talk he gave, he's like, oh, I've got this girl in my bed and like, no big deal. And then the next morning, he's just like feeling it. He's grooving. It's the greatest day of his life. We've all had that moment where you just feel on point and everyone loves you. And it was just a little bird that flies down and he pets the little bird. It was absolutely fantastic. And I loved, loved, loved that scene. Yeah, you know what I love the most about that scene is that even though you don't see it, you can totally picture her morning, Summer's morning, playing out <laughs> totally differently like just any other day. Like he's, you know, he's dancing through the park and high-fiving and shaking hands. And she just, like, you could, if it was a side-by-side, she would have, you know, had some coffee, take a shower, gone to work on the bus and just not th- <laughs> Not like thought about it at all, but he's just having the best day of his life. And that made the whole scene funnier to me is that my internal monologue is playing the flip side of that coin because they've done such a great job at at painting these characters. Well, and it also, you, that also, I mean, that's brilliant. I mean, I can totally see her going, oh, I had sex last night. Uh, She wouldn't even say that. I feel like she wouldn't even say that wouldn't even register. No. But then you, you juxtapose that with his elevator entrance, right? They they cut immediately to like the post breakup elevator and like he comes in he's like yeah I'm having a great day and then they cut to the breakup elevator and he's like devastated. It's <laughs> so good. There's so many yeah. little masterful moments. I love that part. Yeah. Um, the other thing that was a, a hit for me, I think, is uh, Chloe's Chloe Grace Moretz. Just mainly because I really miss the days when she could play like the kid who knew too much. Yeah. And and played an adult role because it, I find that hysterical. You know, she did that obviously in Kick Ass. She does that here. Um, when she's talking to Tom at the soccer game, giving him relationship advice, talking about her boyfriends, she has some line about you know you better ask her what your deal is before Summer meets Lars from Norway, <laughs> the guy at the gym with Brad Pitt's face and Jesus's abs. That part had me dead like dead i do wish though that they used her a little bit more yeah um you know they kind of set her up out the gate with being kind of a more important part of tom's story um right to, to the point that it reminds me of something that that we that came up a lot in in college when we were doing our theater productions is that if you have something that's part of the story and are you know on set Um, in this case, part of the movie, and it's there, and you kind of visually set up its importance, that needs to pay off, and it needs to be used for more than a few minutes. She's in, like, the opening scene, and he's having this huge mental breakdown, smashing the plate, and his friends call her to come in. They've obviously done this before, because they reference a, uh, a past breakup, and they say, oh, it's, you know, the last one all over again. Yes. And she comes in and says the right thing to, like, snap him out of it, and she comes back one or two times, but she doesn't play really any part in his figuring things out, you know, attempting to write his ship montage. So I do wish they used her a little bit more. I kind of liked that dynamic more than I liked the, the his best friends. Um, you know, they just didn't pay off for me as much as I would have thought that her character should have paid off more. That's so true. I happily would have traded some scenes with Paula McKenzie for some scenes of Rachel. And and I think the same could be true of the narrator bit as well. I think Mm. that didn't end up being a running gag as much, but certainly 
I, I think you're spot on. Definitely much more in in the Rachel character than anything else. Because yeah, um, she's she's actually the first person we see. Yeah. When the movie opens yeah. up, we see her on her bike running to the scene. She is the first person that we see in this movie, and you totally think that she's going to be a bigger role, and she isn't. You're you're spot yeah. on. They let him drink Jack and orange juice, and she doesn't come and snap him out of that. Right. <laughs> you know, like. Oh, God. All right, let's dive into another element of this story, which is the time-hopping element. You yeah. know, I have mixed feelings about this. Overall, I think it is overused at times and usually not done well. But sure. that is not the case here, and I think it works amazingly well in this movie, especially... Yeah. When used, like you were talking about the elevator after sex versus the elevator, like immediately yeah. cut to him just having the worst day of his life. So cutting yeah. together those moments in their relationships of the highest highs and the lowest lows is beautifully, beautifully done. And it really serves the narrative well. I think it was great. Again, it's not something I usually like, but I loved it here. Yeah, and it, it definitely keeps you on your toes a little bit and it keeps you more engaged. Whereas I think if this was written a little bit more linear, there's maybe nothing that special to it. So you kind of flip that on its edge, play that this way. And it does kind of begin to color your feelings about how things worked in these 500 days, right? When you really start to look at it, again, it starts to inform your, is he a creep or is she just a cold-hearted, you know, frost queen <laughs> yeah, right yeah and i think too it also introduces us to a really fun element which is the date like the day numbers playing out through the scenes and, and i love you know how in the end once he finally ties the bow on this and you get day 500 it just scrolls all the way back day one like we're starting again this is one story of many so but speaking to the timeline and the dates yeah this might be my main area of concern and issue with this movie and and i think it's what i have like you were saying maybe the biggest problem is is not the best way to say it but we were saying early on just just a moment that kind of misses the mark and feels a little bit dodgy at best maybe yeah. and that's that's just the timeline i did the math i did the math on the dates and to me some of them just don't add up right yeah so yep. Let's dive into some numbers, guys. I'm going to try to make this not confusing, and I'm going to fail horribly. So bear I don't with know. me. I don't know. You texted me, and you're like, I did the math. And I texted you right back, and I was like, about how long each of these relationships for her worked? Because it, it's in the back of your mind. And unless you yes. actually sit down and script this out like you're about to do, I, mm, yeah, it colors my opinion, I think, in the end of how I feel about this movie. Yeah. Here we go. Are you ready? Okay, so what do we know? We know that Summer broke up with Tom in the diner on day 290, right? Yep. Now, when they run into each other at Millie's wedding, Summer is already seriously dating somebody new. We know that it's serious because she says later at the end of the movie that that day she knew she should have said something to Tom about this new guy, but he, quote, hadn't asked her yet. Not that Tom hadn't asked her, but that the new boyfriend hadn't asked her. So she is fully awaiting and expecting to be proposed to, right? Yep. Now, that day, 
is the day of the wedding is day 402, which is only 3.7 months removed from Tom and Summer's breakup. So by day 402, three months later, she is not only seeing somebody new, it is dead serious, and she's expecting a proposal. She gets married, married to this guy, somewhere in Tom's figure stuff out montage, which takes place between days 456 and 476. There's a 20-day window there. Now, we know, like I said, that she's not engaged at the wedding, but by the time Tom goes to the rooftop party the following Friday, she is engaged. So we have to make a few assumptions, but let's assume that Millie's wedding is on a Saturday. The vast majority of weddings are. That means Mm -hmm. that Summer gets engaged during that week from Saturday to Friday. Probably not on the day of the party. So (laughs) being conservative, let's just say it happens on Thursday. That's the last day before the party. That is day 407. Now, assuming she gets married... On because we said she's married somewhere in that window between 456 and 450 and 476. Mm-hmm. Again, being conservative, let's assume she gets married on day 476, which would be the final possible day of that montage. That means she was only engaged from day 407 to 476 at the longest. That is a 2.3 month engagement. Yeah. Okay, so engaged for two months. Lastly, and here's the big one. From the day that Summer broke up with Tom, day 290, to the final possible day before she got married to the Dorian Gray Deli guy, <laughs> is only 186 days, roughly six months. Six months to break up with Tom, meet someone new, date for a while, go to a wedding alone, dance with Tom, your ex, invite Tom to a rooftop party, get engaged. Tom gets there, sees you're engaged, then you get married in six months. In that same span of time, Tom quits his job, reads a book, (laughs) still seeking gainful employment. That seems crazy to me to go from breakup, never wanted to date anybody seriously, to married in six months. Yeah. Maybe I'm alone. That seems bananagrams. I don't think so, because... When that happens, that, like I said, it's like, okay, is she a villain or is Tom just creepy? Again, this kind of brings me back to her being a bad guy. Like, I just, to to do that, and like, yeah, I get the, you know, I just knew, I just knew. But there's a lot of I just knew involved in there. I mean, even if they elope, you're not. You know, courthouse wedding, maybe I just uh, and oh, no, maybe her dress somebody... was no, her dress was pretty fancy and it looked like an outdoor wedding. They show glimpses yeah. of the wedding and I wouldn't necessarily say bad guy. But, you know, for me, my bigger problem was is that it didn't it just didn't seem believable that that much growth would happen that quickly. It, it would yeah. feel unhealthy and it would make you feel con- like, not that it's a happy ending or a positive ending, but you're, you're I, I, I was left wondering like, is she re- like, th- she's just setting herself up for something not great because you just, you it, can't make that kind of shift that quickly. Yeah. I, I don't think any of the, the scenarios are good for her. Right. I, I or look good for her. I think, you know, you could kind of think of it another way. Um, you know, I, I, story-wise, maybe 
it would have made sense if um, she had gone back to a previous relationship. You know, they, they have yeah. that, that sequence early on where she kind of lists the longest relationships. And, you know, maybe if she reveals that, oh, I, I, I went back to the guy I met when I was abroad or, you know, maybe she reveals. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, or mention someone else that maybe she left out because she still had feelings for or something like that. Then you're like, okay, then there's, there's, we're not starting from square, you know, square one with this new relationship. Yeah. Um, or that maybe she was dating somebody else the whole time because, you know, this whole idea is, oh, I don't want a serious relationship. Then maybe she should have been dating somebody else throughout the whole time that she was seeing Tom. I think there are some things that could have been added to that to make it a little more acceptable for her timeline. But that, you're 100% right. When you look at that math, you're like, dang from from that to that so quick you're either foolish and like you said setting yourself up for something that is not going to end well or there's a piece of the story we're missing i'm not sure which is better (laughs) yeah and i had to ask myself i'm like you know frank are you just being prudish or (laughs) old-fashioned or or what and so i said there's got to be some numbers here and so i found more numbers tim um, so how does the six month deal stack up to the average data in the US? So according mm. to brides.com, the average couple dates for approximately two and a half years before becoming engaged. Many sure. couples date for as long as five years and okay. the average engagement lasts between 12 months and 18 months. Additionally, uh-huh. most couples live together for approximately one half of their dating and engaged time. Now, these numbers are echoed by a Penn State University study called The Pair Project. I see what you did there. Which followed 168 couples for 14 years. And they found that the happiest couples and marriages were those who had dated at least 25 months before becoming engaged. The Uh study also found that the majority of couples who divorced by the seven-year mark were those who dated for 18 months before marriage, being engaged for only half that time. So there were some who dated for nine months, still more than six, and were engaged for nine months, still more than six, for a grand total of a year and a half. And and those couples, by a huge margin, ended up in divorce before the seven-year mark. So it is safe to say that based on this six-month deal, uh, you know, if Tom just waits out a couple of years, he might get a second go with Summer. You never know. Maybe that's the sequel. And and you know what? I'll throw throw another 500 days of Summer. I'll throw out some, some, uh, another uh, you know, anecdotal reference for why that is crazy. Um, you know, if you watch enough Say Yes to the Dress, you see how big of a deal that Randy and his team make every time a, a bride is like, my wedding is in two months. And they're like, oh, we can't get a dress in two months. You have to choose between these three that we can order and have for you tomorrow. You know, Eddie, they'll tell you, you need anywhere from, you know, eight months to a year to get your dress. So... Tim, there you go. why are you watching so much Say Yes to the Dress? <laughs> when, you, when, when you've been home in quarantine for as long as we have. Am I not keeping you busy enough with stuff to watch for this? Do you need more responsibilities, Tim? This is what my wife is keeping me busy with uh, on, on, you know, when I'm outside of podcast working hours. Um, yeah. But it is a, a, a guilty pleasure, I would say, at this point. I, I, I do love ragging on that show. It's yeah, I've, I've seen my fair share. All right. 
I feel like we've sort of we I, I feel like we've covered everything. And I yeah. think the time yeah. has come for final thoughts yep. and ratings. Uh, let's start with you this time, Tim. Yeah. Ultimately, I'm pleasantly surprised, for sure. Um, I liked this a lot more than I thought going into it. Um, you know, I mentioned that kind of aversion to it where you know, I was like, eh, is this going to be like another Garden State? You know, she's quirky. It's going to be kind of silly. Um, but I really ended up liking it. And I think, too, I'm at a different point in my life where maybe this would have been a more, I don't want to say painful movie to watch, but I think when you are in unhappier relationships, you watch some you know, romantic comedies, romantic dramedies like this, and they, they hit you differently. And, and now that I am at a stable part in my life in a happy relationship, I don't look back on movies like this the same way. You know, I do look at this one now with a more of a, oh, yeah, I've been there, not, a, oh, I wish I was there sort of thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think this, you know, as we've laid out, this this movie just drips with relatability. I mean, there's just so much. You can fill in your own story here, your own blanks. That rebound relationship that lasted for five months but had, you know, some huge impact on, on your life and your next relationship. Maybe your next relationship is the person you married. I, I can... Um, think of a, a bunch of examples for relationships of mine that ended and, um, you know, the, the person went on to marry the next person that they dated. That happened to me a couple of times. The girl I broke up with, the next person she dated ended up being her future husband. So there are just pieces of it that feel so relatable. And still, you know, both of us at a younger part of our lives, we're not far removed from the moments of this movie where we're, we're dealing with that transition into adult relationships and you know maybe one person uh you know in the case of uh, of summer has it maybe figured out a little bit more than than tom does and they just meet at a different part in their life and they'll never forget each other i mean you know the writer talked about that agonizing painful breakup he's never going to forget that but he's going to grow and, and and live with that and, and learn from that so I think it, it actually, again, was pleasantly surprising, and I really, really enjoyed it. And it's got enough of those elements, you know, that kind of throw curveballs at you. The, the, that expectation versus reality scene, the morning after scene, those little bits of comedy that come out of nowhere. Um, and I think it ends up being a sum greater than its parts uh, in the end. So I, I think I'd go like a 7 out of 10 for sure. Yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. For me, this movie, I had seen it before. I remembered liking it. And like you, I was pleasantly surprised. But I was surprised at how much more I liked it than I remembered. I mm. think this movie is beautifully written. I think the soul of it is comes from such a real place that it's, it's undeniable. It, it immediately makes it relatable, believable. You know, you can... Just, just knowing that, I mean, and maybe that was the difference, right? Yeah. Maybe before it just played like a really realistic movie, but then to just know from the place where it came from was such a real pain and such a real experience. You know, it made you appreciate the little subtleties that you could find in there more. And there's lots of that too. There's so many great little moments. I think on top of being this incredible relationship drama, it's it's got the perfect mix of comedy in there. You know, Clark Gregg finding his way in um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, playing Vance, the, uh, the, the, 
the boss at the card yeah. place and, and his some of his moments like when you know when Joseph Gordon Levitt is at his lowest point and he brings him in, he's like, Are you okay? Is anyone dead in your family? Blah blah blah. And he's just because you know, you've been writing some weird stuff. And instead of being truly sympathetic or empathetic, he, he just hands him, you know, like the death cards and it's like, yep. Yeah, harness that pain and right. put it to work. There's just so many great little moments. Um and and perfect comedic relief exactly where you need it this movie's a really fun watch but it also hits home it's so well acted there is very little negative to say and i think we touched on some of what you know the the things that are unbelievable but no movie's gonna bat a thousand and and for that to be the one thing that we can kind of call out and and the other negative thing is that we want more of another character like yeah that's such a that's a first world problem and and right. and that's you know and that speaks to this movie i give this movie an 8 out of 10 i think yeah. you know i think some of the scenes are just so masterfully done and and just things that i haven't really seen done well in other places mm-hmm. you know i think this movie achieves successfully things that a lot of similar movies you know you had mentioned Garden State, you know, I think about Elizabethtown, I think about even some of the other movies that they wrote. It's not for lack of trying. This movie just did it really well. And I think it's it comes from the casting. I think it comes from the experience. I think it comes from all those things. And this movie's an eight out of ten. I think it's fantastic. After the the our final thoughts there, I do want to pose a question to you. The movie closes and we see Tom meet a potential what is assumed to be with the title card resetting to day one. Oh yeah. uh, a, a new love interest. Mm-hmm. Do you think he has learned anything? Do you think he's a different person? And is this possibly his 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 marriage love? In, in that scene where he runs into Summer the final time on day 500, yeah. I don't believe that he's fully learned yet. He's clearly still angry and upset and, and all those kinds of things. But I think what he's missing is that closure. And, and even in that moment, he, rather than growing and learning how to tweak himself a bit, all he's done is adopted her way of thinking, right? He yeah. has that line where he's just saying, you were right, you know, love isn't real and blah, blah. This such a cheap quitters mentality, right? And, and I love that she calls him out on that. Yeah. And it's like, no, you know, there's, there's a middle ground. And I think it's not until that moment where he's even open to trying to find it. And I think meeting autumn happens a little too soon for like Mm. am i convinced autumn's the one that he's gonna marry no but i think he'll be a little bit better and and maybe it is and maybe it's the one after so i think i think there is evidence of growth and i love that it sort of leaves it open for debate and and thought to say is it enough growth right yeah. Um, yep. And so, you know, I don't know. It's interesting. And the other thing being that they have that same place. They're both architects, all this kind of stuff. And there's a line in the beginning when he's talking to Rachel, his sister, Chloe Grace Moretz. And she's just like, you know, just because she likes the same weird crap as you doesn't mean <laughs> she's your soulmate speaking about Autumn. And so yeah. I found it interesting that the connection that they give him with the next person is that they like the same place and they do the same stuff. So again, they've already told you just because they have these things in common doesn't mean she's going to be the one. And and it's just another testament to the thoughtfulness yep. behind the screenplay because, you know, they they leave enough in there to keep it, you know, ambiguous and 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 it's fun. It's a fun question, you know. Yep. 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 
I mean, we don't even. I'm not even convinced that Zooey De- that Summer is in a successful relationship. It's only been six right. months. Right. You know, right. the the stats are against you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> we need a vignette. We got to see where she is now. <laughs> I think that wraps up our episode on 500 Days of Summer. Next week, we are going to celebrate Veterans Day by talking about some war movies. We're going to be talking about A Few Good Men, we're going to be talking about The Great Escape, and we're going to be talking about Jarhead. And I am thrilled to announce that we are going to be joined by two, not one, but two special guest hosts, Lisa and Ian, who are the hosts of the Damn the Torpedoes podcast. If you haven't heard it, Check it out. I posted something on Instagram about it in the stories uh, a little while ago. They have a great show kind of talking about navigating marriage in a military family. Ian is active duty uh, service member and Lisa uh, worked for the Navy for a while and just made the switch to being a stay at home. And so they they talk about these transitions and they talk about their dynamics and, and all these kinds of things. So whether you have that experience or not, they're show is hilarious and it's interesting and i can't say enough good about it and we are so excited to have them join us here on pause reviews so they'll be able to talk about these movies with us and offer some genuine military perspective that tim and i lack wholly because we are not brave um and so uh we are so excited to welcome them next week so definitely make sure you tune in and uh, you'll get to meet them check out their podcast i guarantee you're gonna love it additionally to give you guys some insights as to what to expect the rest of this month after that episode we're gonna have one more episode but we are going to take a break for thanksgiving so yep. and, and I'll keep you guys posted on our schedule as we start approaching the holiday seasons. But there will be no episode on Thanksgiving, and we will pick things back up in December before we go into our final push before the end of season one. We will be taking a break during the winter and bringing you season two early next year, but more info to come. So keep yeah. tuning in. Keep staying tuned. we got plenty of shows to bring you before the end of our hugely successful season one. Yeah, big things are coming. Big, uh, big investments are happening, and uh, hopefully you hear some of that work that Frank has put in this week, and uh, we're excited. Yeah, 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 definitely. So, as always, you can check us out on Instagram at Paused Reviews. You can check out the website, pausedreviews.com, which is a new website hosted by Podbean. Thank you, Podbean, for being our podcast hosting platform as yeah. effective this week. I'm so excited. Awesome. You know, but shoot us a message, shoot us emails, pausereviews at gmail.com. Any requests, anything you want to chat about, comment, DM, whatever it is. We are here for you. Until next week, my friends, I'm your boy, Frank. This is Tim. And we'll see you on the next one. You guys have a great week. Talk to you soon. Peace.